Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. Amen. But listen, it's so good to be with you. There's been so much resistance towards this particular trip. In fact, I was seriously under the impression that I will not be in Nigeria with you because we had so much of challenges just coming here. And you know, sometimes those challenges are political. Sometimes those challenges are spiritual. Amen. The Apostle Paul says a great and effectual door is opened by the enemy resisted. And we experience that, but I do believe through intercession and also trying to navigate the space, we were able to make it possible. I was saying to Pastor that anytime there's great resistance, there's also something significant God wants to do. Amen. So I'm here with you and I'm excited to be with you. Amen. Amen. You guys are doing well, man. I, I like the fact that every time I come here, it looks a little bit different. I was saying to Pastor, and I keep on saying this to him. You guys need to find land for this man or a building. This place is just hopelessly too small for you. Amen. And uh, we keep on forcing people into this place. Amen. Uh, you're going to have to find another place. I'm telling you, it's as clear as daylight. Even a blind man can see this. Let's get into the teaching this evening. I'm going to speak a little bit strong. We're going to feel the weight of the word in these meetings. There's times when you hear the joy of the word, but there's times when you experience the weight of the word. And these meetings are designed in such a way that you will experience the weight of the word. Of course, we also understand the spontaneous outbreaks that would take place during ministration. And that is very much welcomed. God is touching you. He's touching you. Nobody can intercept that. Amen. I want to speak on your team, the apostolic generation, and I'm going to spend my time speaking specifically on this for the time that I have with you. And we're going to build on a few things. Now, one of the things you have to understand is that there's two ways that God works. God gives a prophetic declaration of a season, and then God brings apostolic voices to construct the type of wineskin or the mindset that must be conversant with that prophetic declaration. And you have to understand that because a prophetic utterance must not just excite people and get them enthusiastic for what's coming, but it must bring people under the subjection of teaching so that the mindsets can be constructed for them to possess that prophetic reality. Uh, this is why you would notice what a nation of Israel, the declaration is, I'm taking you to a promised land, but then for years God struggles with the people to construct a mindset that can possess that prophetic reality. Now, it's key that you understand that because if we don't reconcile prophecy with teaching, the manifestation will go amiss. If we don't reconcile prophecy with teaching, that manifestation will go amiss. And so what teaching does, it prepares us and it builds in us the capacity to steward the moments well. This is why you would notice a revival would come and a revival would die because we're excited with the outpour, but there's no capacity built in the people to steward it. And this is why there's an apostolic and a prophetic dynamic that runs simultaneously that works together so that the mindsets can be constructed for that reality. Think about it. Jesus spends three years teaching, just teaching. Three years, just teaching. And then at the end of those three years, he pours out his spirit and those men shift from disciples to apostles and they are able to steward the moment. Now imagine if the outpour came without teaching. There would be abuse, there would be neglect and that moment would go amiss. And this is why when you get a prophetic word, you have to find the theology or you have to find the content that is conversant with that prophetic word. 
Prophetic words should not excite you. It should put you in class. Prophetic words should not excite you. It should put you in class. And so whenever God speaks prophetically, I always ask him, what person must I become for this? And that requires teaching. So when we talk about an apostolic generation, the declaration is, an apostolic generation is here. But then we need teaching to define that. We need teaching to understand that. We need teaching to unpack that. We need teaching to decipher that. Amen? And that is going to be very key. So there must be the reconciliation of prophecy with teaching. If that does not happen, God will prolong the waiting space. Think about it. The nation of Israel endured for 40 years and still they could not enter. And only a select few was able to enter because the mindset was not adopted for the moment. The mindset was not nurtured. The mindset was not developed so that they can become good stewards of what's next. Now, when we talk about an apostolic generation or we talk about apostolic, one of the things you have to understand is that the Spirit of God moves first and foremost generationally. And I say generationally because God is not always birthing something new. He's just continuing something old. Understand that? He's not just birthing something new. He's continuing something old. We call it new because it's the first time that we're coming into it. But it is simply just continuity. And God builds on the process or on the principle of continuity because he builds generationally. Think about it. John the Baptist, even though he's a unique expression of the Spirit of God, he comes in the order of Elijah. Jesus comes in the order of Melchizedek, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so that speaks about continuity. Are you with me? So God builds generationally. It speaks about a process of continuity. But let me say this to you. The apostolic has three fundamental exercises. If I can put it that way, it's three fundamental expressions. They pioneer, they bring revival, and they bring reformation. The apostolic pioneers, it brings revival, and it brings reformation. Number one, it pioneers because pioneering speaks to building. And for every season, God is building. For every group of people, God is building. For every generation, God is building. But then there's two things that are distinct about apostolic ministry. It carries forth revival and reformation in the earth. Revival denotes the idea of making alive that which is dead. Reformation, on the other hand, deals with making straight what is crooked. Making straight what is crooked. And why do we say make straight what is crooked? Because every spiritual principle that God downloads has the potential to be perverted by men. And when I say perverted, then it means that it loses its authentic or its original intent and we package it in such a way that it ministers more to us than what it ministers to God. And perversion really deals with bending out of shape that which is straight. Amen? So when God sends apostles into the earth or an apostolic generation, for lack of a better word, the idea is revival, pioneering, and reformation. Of course, what God is busy with in a very distinct way at this present moment in the earth is reformation. For example, you can find that worship has been perverted and a generation emerges that makes it straight again. Prophecy has been perverted and a generation emerges that makes it straight again. 
Generosity has been perverted and a generation emerges, make it straight again. Let's look at a few verses quickly that deals with revival and then a few verses that deals with reformation. And we're going to build a little bit on this. Amen. Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, 15. I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to work it. For thus says, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To do what? To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Psalm 85, 6. Will you not revive us again that we may rejoice in you? Will you not revive us again that we may rejoice in you? But then I want to look at a verse that deals with reformation. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 10. It says, Which stood only in meats and drinks, diverse washings, and carnal ordinance imposed on them until the time of reformation. Now, let me explain this quickly to you. Reformation does not always come, or a Kairos moment does not always come because it's convenient. It comes because it is necessary. And you must understand their distinction. So no matter how inconvenient the time is for us in the natural, God will facilitate it because it becomes a necessity. And when you consider how far we have veered from God's order as the church in the earth, you begin to understand that reformation is now absolutely necessary. Are you with me? It's absolutely necessary. So the Spirit of God does not move based on the convenience of man. He moves based on the necessity for men to come into an experience and into an encounter. That means that even though we might be in a space where we enjoy certain expressions, God will pass judgment upon it to necessitate a fresh outpour and a fresh move of his spirit. Pastor highlighted something so interesting, I think it was this morning when he said it. He says that whilst they were having normal temple worship, there was a group of 120 that God began to raise up and he began to pour out his spirit. Now watch this. Even though things were convenient, God initiated a necessary process to pass judgment on that particular process. And what you have to understand as far as God is concerned, even though his church is one, his church is always divided between the true church and the false church. Always. These two expressions cohabitate and exist at the same time. And God will then pour out his spirit because it is necessary, not because it is convenient. Are you with me? But there's a few things we have to understand as far as that is concerned. While revival deals with making things alive and reformation focuses on making things straight, reformation deals primarily with our configuration, who we are, how we perceive the things of God, how we interpret the things of God, so that we can express the things of God accurately. Now, there's two things that needs to happen when God pours out His Spirit. Number one, it is expressing the fullness of His Spirit. And number two, it is expressing the accuracy of His Spirit. Say that again. Number one, expressing the fullness of His Spirit. And number two, expressing the accuracy of the Spirit. Those two need to exist at the same time because God wants to give us all of him, but also all of him accurately. Are you with me? Yes, 
So what, what, what tempers with accuracy? What tempers with accuracy is our mindset. And, and I've said this to you before when I came here, is that we hear God based on who we are, not based on what he's saying. I said it to you before, we hear God based on who we are, where we are. And we don't always hear him in, its, in his purest form because that becomes our focus. This is why God here looks very different from God in another part of the city. So God is after a fullness and is after the accuracy of that fullness. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Let's read from verse 16. And we're going to deal a little bit with fullness and touch a little bit on accuracy. I ask that out of the riches of his glory, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then you being rooted and grounded in love will have power together with all the saints to comprehend, to grasp, to understand the configuration, the length and the width, the height and the depth, again, dealing with issues of fullness, all of it, of the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may what? That you may be filled with the fullness, the fullness of God. The word fullness there comes from the Greek word pleroma. And that word means... Several different meanings in, in, in the original. It means that which is being filled up to the brim. That which is being filled up to the brim. Uh, but I like, I, I like the way it, it captures it in the New Testament because it speaks about a believer being filled with both the presence and the power and also the agency of the riches of God in Christ. A believer being filled with all of that. Now, when we speak about the fullness of God, one of the things you have to understand about the fullness of God, the fullness of God deals with issues of governance. Somebody say governance. The fullness of God deals with issues of governance. Jump with me to Isaiah chapter 1. This is a school of ministry, so I'm going to give you a lot of verses. Amen? <laughs> Isaiah chapter 11, 1 to 3. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Now this deals with the seven expressions of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. The Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might. The Spirit of knowledge, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. We mentioned several of them. The Spirit of the Lord. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. All those expressions deals with issues of governance. And this is very different from the gifts of the spirit and the fruits of the spirit. This deals with the fullness of the spirit. And it is important that we understand that because the fullness of the spirit is what God gives us as believers, number one, for self-governance. And number two, for external governance. Are you following me? Number one, for self-governance. And number two, for external governance. But what we also have to understand about these expressions of God's Spirit is that it is always contextual because all of those expressions have a context to which it belongs. You catch me? 
Wisdom belongs to a particular context. Might belongs to a particular context. The spirit of the fear of the Lord deals with a particular context. And, and God begins to express himself in these various ways based on the context to which you belong, based on the territory and the world to which you belong. But the highest form of governance when it comes to the spirit of God is self-governance. The highest form of governance when it comes to the spirit of God is self-governance. Because we have to get to a place where we govern ourselves before we try to govern our region and our space. And this is where most Christians struggle. We want to lord over the city, but we are not even lord over our flesh. We want to exercise authority over people, but we don't even have authority over our own flesh. And so when we talk about governance, the highest form of governance for the believer is self-governance. And the fullness of the Spirit gives us the various expressions of God to get it done. Are you following me? But just the problem why we struggle with self-governance. Most of us struggle with the issues of self-governance because we exalt our personality above the principles of God. We exalt our personality above the principles of God. And the struggle we have is that whenever God challenges us to change, our response is always, I am just like that. I'm just that type of person. Talk to me, somebody. It's who I am. Our personality has become a form of idol worship. And you're dealing with a generation of believers that idolize their personality. We're talking about an incident that you mentioned to me. And one of the things that was clear about that incident is that our personality is being idolized. I am just like that. No, I'm, I'm just like that. So God gives us his spirit for self-governance. Now, anytime your personality is idolized, there will be a conflict and a tension between the spirit of God and your flesh. And before God gives you the region to conquer, he first deals with you conquering your flesh and conquering yourself. But it's a struggle because we think power is for governance externally. We don't think power is for self-governance. God gives us power for self-governance. Talk to me, somebody. And the process of self-governance is an interesting one because, number one, there's two areas where the believer needs to govern himself. Number one, it's issues of morality as far as his flesh is concerned. But the second area is also area of gifting. As far as his gift is concerned, the scripture says, the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet. That means that even the gift must be governed. Now, let me deal with that a little bit. When you get into an environment like this and there's grace upon your life, your biggest temptation is to show off. Your biggest temptation is the platform. Your biggest temptation is use me, Lord. And when you come under a leader like Pastor Kunli that says God will use you, but there's a process. Self-governance. You're following? When you come under a leader like Pastor Kunli that says, no, the grace of God is upon your life. It's clear as daylight. We can see that. But there is a, a process before you get to that. What's happening? You are wrestling with issues of governance. This is why when God gets ready to use you, 
Self-governance is always your first test. And it's in the area of your gift and also in the area of morality. Now, morality is obvious. You know, we have to live right. We have to walk a certain way. We have to walk circumspectly. I'm not going to labor that too much. But then it's also in the area of your gift. And so the scripture says the, prof, the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet. Like this one, spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. But what is God doing? He gives you a gift. And then he places you in an environment that triggers the gift. But he's not trying to see how the gift performs. He's trying to see how you control the gift. And that then becomes a reference point of maturity. So, so, so God will deliberately place you in an environment that triggers you, that unlocks you. And then he stands back not to see how the gift looks at optimum, but how controlled. Because the test is always self-governance. And this is the test that most believers fail. Because here's the thing, when we fail the test of self-governance, we start operating in the spirit of dishonor. And dishonor is not always a person. Dishonor is sometimes a boundary. When we speak about dishonor, we always talk about dishonoring people. You can dishonor a boundary. And so let me give you an example of a boundary. Boundary sets authority in place. A boundary sets order in place. And so if the man of God comes and he says, this is how we do things in this church. If you undermine that boundary, you have failed a self-governance test. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You have failed a self-governance test. And so when we talk about an apostolic generation, the highest reference point of their maturity is self-governance. Now think about self-governance a bit. When God creates mankind, when God creates humanity, there is no law and there's no grace. There's no dispensation. Adam is not created under the law. Adam is not created under grace. But Adam is supposed to know the rules. What was it? Self-governance. Because there was no law of Moses that said, thou shalt not. No law of Moses. There's no law that says thou shalt not kill, but Cain gets judged for killing his brother. What law did he break? What law did he break? What standard was he held against? Because there was no standard. It was self-governance. And when you understand walking in the spirit, you'll understand that we are not held by a law but we are held and we are contained by the Spirit of God. And that is what deals with our conscience being quickened. You don't have to be taught wrong. You just know it instinctively. So the test for the believer, the test for an apostolic generation, is always self-governance. And the law came about because man failed self-governance. You understand what I'm saying to you? So when God brings a revival, that revival is not just miracles. That revival is first the ability to govern yourself. And to govern yourself in the area of morality and to govern yourself in the area of your gift. So there must then be an understanding of boundaries. And those things generally happen instinctively. 
Because when you are filled with the Spirit of God, you are conscientized to that reality. You understand what I'm saying to you? The Spirit makes you conscious. The Word says, and God blew into Adam and he became what? A living being. He became a conscious being. Conscious to what? Conscious to the knowledge of God. Self-governance. And so an apostolic generation must master the issues of self-governance. And you are going to find yourself in various scenarios and various situations that test that. And the test is twofold, morality and gift. Always. Morality and gift. Morality and gift. Morality deals with your lifestyle. Your gift deals with how you understand boundaries, order, those type of things. And so you know that a generation is struggling with self-governance that when they get rebuked, they leave the church. That when they get called to order, they resign. That when they are told, we don't do this here, they have an issue. Because they're struggling with issues of self-governance. And again, it goes back to what I keep on saying to you, is that when we begin to exalt our personality above the principles of God, this will always be an area of serious contention. An area of serious contention. And what you have to understand sometimes about submission and those type of things is that, you know, God is tricky because God will judge a system or God will judge a man and still place you under that man. Just think about it for a minute. The priesthood is judged under Eli. Eli and his sons are judged. And then God says, the next prophet that I'm raising up, put him under Eli. Why would God do that? Why would he not keep him away from a system that's already judged? Because submission is not about a man you're submitting to. Submission is about you. It's about you. It's about addressing issues in your flesh, issues in your heart, issues in your head, issues in your spirit. And God then begins to build and frame the, 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 the process of self-governance under you. And let me tell you something. In any context, you're sometimes going to find yourself in spaces where you also know the weakness of the people you have to serve under. I, can you bring your own spirit into subjection? Because the spirit things are governed by obedience, not by awareness. Explain that again to you. The things of the Spirit are governed by obedience, not awareness. It is not how much I know about Him that makes me submit or not submit. It's my obedience to that instruction that makes me to submit. You understand the difference? And a lot of us try to navigate that space based on the awareness. These things of the Spirit is not driven just by the awareness. It's driven by the obedience. So even though they have full knowledge that a priesthood of Eli is judged, they still have to obey the instruction, take him to Eli to be trained. Even though they have full knowledge in the city that this priesthood is a mess, they still have to take the boy under Eli so that he can go and learn the things. Because it is not their awareness that drives their submission. It is their obedience that drives their submission. And what happens in a space of obedience, God begins to address your flesh. And this is why obedience is always something that's almost impossible. Like, God, you know that Eli is a bit of a mess. Why would you now say this man must mentor me? 
Testing is obedience because submission is not driven by awareness. It is driven by following me. At the wedding in Cana, what does the mother of Jesus say? Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. You know this boy. You know he's a village boy from here, but forget that. It's not your awareness that drives your action. It's your obedience that drives your action. So your test is going to be self-governance, apostolic generation. And God is going to put you in various situations where self-governance will be tested. And sometimes it will even look petty. But it's a test. It's a test because self-governance is something that God drives in an apostolic generation. It is something that he drives in an apostolic generation. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. It is something that he drives in an apostolic generation. And that is going to require of us to overcome our obsession with our personality. You, you framed it so nicely last night. You said that it's self-interest. Uh, we're just concerned about ourselves. You're going to have to overcome that. You will have to overcome that. Now, now let me explain that to you quickly. So I'll give you a scenario. So, I think it was last year or some time ago. So, 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 so I'll give you an example, a practical example of what happened in our church. So I was in Port Harcourt, and I think that morning I had a prompting from the Holy Spirit, man. I, I called Marilyn. I said, listen, I have a strong prompting in my spirit. I'm going to try and be very prophetic this morning. It's not the Spirit of the Lord. It's a, strange, it's a strange message to give somebody. So just handle that for me. So I went to the service in Port Harcourt, as the Lord would have it. Later the, the afternoon, we're chatting. So I'm checking on her, how was the service, you know, how did everything go, blah, blah, blah. And she says to me, you know, the strangest thing happened because one of our sons was ministering. She says, I was sitting in front and, you know, I had a cough, so I went to go sit at the back of the church. And while I'm sitting at the back, this guy, she mentions him, comes up to me and he says to me that he's sensing the Lord wants him to say something on the stage. says, and I said to him, what, what is it that the Lord is saying? So he's telling me, whispering in my ear, whatever. And I said to him, the guy that's on the stage is well able to do that, so we'll make sure he gets the message. And then the guy tries another way because he needs to get the microphone on that Sunday. He says, but you know, I'm sensing this. And so she says, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that today. Uh, thank you. And she just handled it. But I had a prompting the morning to send a message back home that this would happen. Now, what happened? What happened? Let's say what he said was accurate. It was not a test of how accurate he is prophetically. It was a test of how controlled he is prophetically. Now, self-governance deals sometimes with the appetite and the desire to perform. So, my wife's rebuke for him was his test, not the test of the local church. Are you following me? Yeah. So even though the gift could have been accurate and correct, God was setting him up to be tested because why would I have that prompting in Port Harcourt worry about what's going to happen in the service back home? The Spirit of God. But my point that I'm trying to get to is that 
you are going to come into situations where you try to exalt your accuracy. And God is more committed to self-governance. Just because it's right does not mean it must happen. You understand it? Just because it's right does not mean it must happen. Because accuracy also deals with time and space. And so the right thing in the wrong time becomes the wrong thing. Everything in the spirit realm deals with time. Are you following me? So the test of self-governance is one that God is taking us through. And this is why even as a local church, one of the things that you guys have experienced the past year has been issues of self-governance. It's like you have come into a space where there's just rules and regulations. I don't go to this church, but I tell you this by the Spirit of God. <laughs> it's like you have come into a space where there's just rules and regulations and you think you are being controlled. And people that do not understand the Spirit of God will tell you you are being controlled. Uh, you, you don't mind me speaking just prophetically and by the word of knowledge. You will even come into a space where people will tell you you are becoming a cult. But what God is doing, God is putting boundaries in place so that he can establish patterns of governance. And the enemy will try to lure you out of that space by giving you the impression that it is false what's happening. It's control what's happening. It's victimization what's happening. It's bullying that's happening. Because the enemy did not want you to get into a space where you learn self-governance. And so sometimes the rules and the regulation is to format your spirit man and to configure you for what's coming next. When God configures people, he writes rules. Listen to me. When God configures people, he writes rules. Prophetic declaration, go to the promised land. Moses start writing rules. And that configuration is so that they can steward the next moment. And so when God gets busy with you, he writes rules. And rules are not just so that you can be controlled and bullied, but rules is so that your spirit man can be regulated and you can be configured to possess what's coming. Because there's a certain mindset that God needs to nurture in you. And that can only come about because he's writing rules for you. And what an apostolic generation must understand is that when we come into that moment, God starts writing rules. The epistles are books of rules. Books of rules. Do not eat this meat that's been given to idols. Do not find yourself in this crowd. Do not do this. Do not entertain such conversations. That's the epistles. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. We are not of them that slander. It's a book of rules. But what the rules does is it establishes patterns of governance so that they can possess the fullness of the Spirit of God. We are dealing with a generation that wants it all without the rules. 
We want more power, but we don't want the rules that govern power. We want more of his presence, but we don't want the rules that govern his presence. We want miracles, but we don't subscribe to the rules of the miraculous. We want accuracy, but we don't subscribe to the rules that gives us accuracy. You cannot undermine the rule that configures you and still want it. It's a false trade. And so one of the things that you have to understand about an apostolic generation is that there's going to be more rules. Because for certain levels, there are certain behaviors. And what rules does is it dictates behavior. And it deals with issues of self-governance. And so God will sometimes address your appetites. He will sometimes address your desires. He will sometimes address the things you want for yourself. And He will take you through such a season so that you can master self-governance. Are you with me? So that you can master self-governance. Jesus said, if you are not faithful with a little, what does that mean? If, I, if you cannot govern and manage small things, how then can I trust you with more? How can I trust you with big things? And so as an apostolic generation, follow the rules. Because the rules is a stepping stone into the fullness of what comes next. And those rules are sometimes forcing upon you issues of personal governance. And it will frustrate you. It will get to you. It will annoy you. It will irritate you. But trust me, when you get through it, great is the reward. Great is the reward. Great is the reward. Is it not interesting that for every prophetic declaration, there's a rule book? From Genesis to Revelations, there's a rule book. And the rules deals with self-governance. It deals with self-governance. Now, spiritually speaking, the church, and, and again, you know, I'm not going to give numbers to it, but you'll understand what I'm saying. The church has gone through a very lean season. The body of Christ has gone through a very lean season. We saw fewer miracles. And we were chatting about it earlier, man of God. Fewer miracles. A lot of things that we saw less of. But the objective of the lean years is governance. The objective of the lean years is governance so that we can build personal governance, patterns of governance. Joseph gets a dream and he speaks about seven years of plenty, seven lean years. And what is interesting is that that entire prophetic narrative is built around how we govern ourselves when we have everything and how we govern ourselves when we have nothing. That that's really captures that prophetic narrative. How we govern ourselves when we have plenty. How we govern ourselves when we have nothing. Now what God does in the realm of the spirit is he takes you through these lean years and he takes you through years of abundance, not as a reward, but as building patterns of governance into you. This is why even when you come through a spiritual season where you feel things are lean, he's building governance into you. And then you come into another season where there's just plenty, there's abundance, there's an outpour. He's building self-governance into you. Because governance is tested on two levels. This is why Paul said, I know what it is to have. 
and I know what it is not to have. But in all of this, what? I am content. Because contentment was a pattern of govern governance that those realities build into him. And so your experiences is nurturing self-governance in you. And some of you are coming into lean and some of you are coming into plenty, but both of you have this in common. How are you governing yourself? This is why blessings always follows governance. Think about that. If you are faithful in the... What does that mean? To govern, manage, steward little well. Will I not make you over patterns of governance? And so the apostolic generation understand this. The apostolic generation understand this. And one of the things that I began to see in the spirit was that this generation has gone through those cycles where God was building patterns of governance in us. Where God was building patterns of governance in us. When we didn't have, we knew how to handle. When we had, we knew how to handle. It was patterns of governance that God was busy building in us. And I'm not just talking money. I'm talking everything. When the church was small, we were faithful. When the church grew, we were faithful. It was patterns of... Are you following me? When the, nobody came to the prayer meeting, we prayed strong. When everybody was at a prayer meeting, we prayed strong. When the place was packed, we were strong in worship. When the place was empty, we were strong in worship. It was patterns of governance. And those patterns of governance then begins to trigger things in the spirit. And we then come into a perpetual flow of the spirit of God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? We then come into a perpetual flow of the spirit of God. For Samuel chapter 3 verse 1, in those days the word of the Lord was scarce. In those days, the revelation of the Lord was scarce. If they can manage the scarcity, they can manage the abundance. Are you following me? And so all these things are building into us patterns of governance. And so when pastor was writing rules, that as a church, we don't do this. As a church, we don't participate in this. As a church, we don't subscribe to that. The rules was building in you self-governance. And when you got to a place where you could govern yourself, God then began to gradually increase you and bring you into more incrementally. Because when you got it, it didn't make sense. But when you walked it out, it became clearer. Are you with me? But it requires then that we do not exalt our personality above the principle that we do not exalt our personality above the principle. You cannot be an apostolic generation and you still talk about yourself. Because an apostolic generation is dead to self. And a dead man don't have carnal desires. A dead man don't have the desires for the stage. A dead man understands the ebb and the flow of the spirit. Are you following me? And so we're going through that season of self-governance. Saying to the guys back at home, you know, we were going through a few things I shared with Pastor. And deep down in my spirit, I knew God was trying to see to build patterns of governance into us. Are you with me? Deep down, I knew it and I understood it. 
that he was building in us patterns of governance. So the highest form of governance is self-government, self-governance. It is the highest form of governance. How do I manage myself? How do I govern myself? How do I manage myself? How do I govern myself? And those things are critical because those things then begins to trigger the supply or the things that God begins to place under you. So governance then starts with me and then it flows out. It is first internalized before it is externalized. It is first internalized before it is externalized. If you don't have a prayer pattern, you can't teach people to pray. If you don't have a giving pattern, you can't teach people to give. If you don't have a pattern of consistency, you can't teach people consistency. Are you with me? You're never present, but you're always ready to lead. That's not how the kingdom works. Hello? You know what I'm talking about. It only happens in South Africa, eh? Or it happens here too. Thought Nigerians are so deep, man, but okay. So it happens here too. Never present, but always willing to lead, always willing to take charge. The kingdom does not work like that. And so even back home, we had to deal with that type of spirit where we had to sit people down because if you don't have the pattern in you, how can you transfer that? Are you with me? And here's one of the things you have to understand. God rewards patterns more than he rewards gifts. There's entrusted to faithful men. Not men that have the gift to teach. And that are faithful. Patterns of faithfulness. Entrusted to faithful men. Because God rewards patterns. And so in the kingdom, you have to understand, if you develop the right patterns, reward finds you. Develop the right patterns, reward finds you. You have to develop the right patterns. And that is how reward works in the spirit. But again, it deals with issues of self-governance. So I had one leader where to sit him down. Never present. You have a school of ministry, the man is never there. But the man gets on the stage and has a prophetic utterance. It just never made sense to me. I said, no, 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 no. This guy needs to sit down. And of course, as they normally do, they leave. They leave because they feel belittled. They feel undermined. They feel attacked. They feel insulted. But the point is we have tracked your patterns. So I don't care how gifted you are. Your patterns fails you. Are you with me? And one of the things that an apostolic generation understands is patterns. And that's simple things. Be present. Be present. Sometimes the, the greatest demand that God places upon you is be present. Just be present. People don't realize that sometimes God just wants you to be present. We want to get deep in the things of the Spirit. Being present is probably one of the most basic things you have to master. Talk to me, somebody. 
Somebody say self-governance. Self-governance. The highest form of governance. Now watch this. When you learn to govern yourself, God then begins to increase your territory. When you start governing yourself, God then begins to increase your territory. Now watch this now. In the book of Genesis, the test for Adam and Eve is govern yourself. But what happens when they fail to govern themselves, they lose the territory they can govern. They are banished from the, the territory. They lose the garden. But if they were able to do it, they would have retained the territory. So the progression then is from self into territory. Now in every area of your gift, or in every area that you are graced, if you govern that well, there's an increase in territory. Because the Holy Spirit is territorial. But here's the thing, the test is me first. And so for Adam and Eve, what is the test? Govern yourself. Govern yourself. Govern yourself. And they fail the test and they lose the territory. And so sometimes we are in a particular space and we are trusting God to give us more territory in that space, but we have not mastered self-governance. Now let me make that practical and let me make it plain. You take somebody like Glenn's that's into photography. If he does not have the patterns and the disciplines, why would God give him territory in that space? Did you catch what I'm saying? Why would God give you territory in that space? So your personal disciplines then begins to give you more territory because governance is first internalized before it is externalized. And so then the increase of his government Starts with self-governance. And the scripture says, of the increase of his government, there will be no... Now, that's profound. Get that scripture for me. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. But what's profound about that? Because Jesus first mastered self-governance. And there's then a perpetual increase in territorial governance of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. Profound. But where does governance start with Jesus? Self-governance. Self-governance. And his self-governance is not just limited to the temptation in the wilderness. That's one aspect of it. But the self-governance is with every detail of his life. Because he comes to the Jordan and he says to John, I need to be baptized. And then John says, I'm so unworthy. I can't even untie. And then Jesus says to him, do this. So that prophecy may be fulfilled. And that all righteousness may be fulfilled. What was he doing? He was submitting himself to a process. Self-governance. And then there's a perpetual increase from self into the territory. Now watch this now. This is true for you. Because the asset test of your life is self-governance. And you then can only increase God's governance through you. Through personal or through self-governance. Here's the thing. You can be talented. If you don't have the disciplines, you don't get the territory. This is why less talented people have more territory. Than fully talented people. Than more talented people. 
One of your biggest frustrations sometimes in the industry where you find yourself is that people that are not as good as you have more territory than you. Because it's not the talent that he rewards. It's the patterns. So the scripture says of the increase of his government, there will be no end. An ever-increasing governmental authority, but it's first internalized before it is externalized. The apostolic generation then begins to develop those patterns, begins to develop those disciplines, and they start coming into significant reward. Reward publicly is generally connected to private disciplines. You see a man begin to shine. You must know that it's been years of private consistency. You see God lifting a man. It is years of private labor. Years. Years. Nobody was there. Nobody clapped for him. Nobody rewarded him. But it just suddenly comes up. No, no, no. It's not suddenly. You can trace that thing back to years where he's been doing that same thing consistently. And so personal governance now then begins to walk and it begins to spiral into territorial governance. And so the more I take care of me, the more he increases my space and the more he increases my leverage. So the apostolic generation then begins to understand the importance of self and personal governance. But what we have done in the church, we have trained people how to pray for more territory. We quote scriptures. Where you put your feet, it's yours. No, 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 no. That's not how it works, my friend. You only get where you discipline. Huh? We train you to walk. It's my, my, put my foot, it's my, nah. It's not, it's not yours. I don't want to lie to you. It's not yours. It's, it's not yours. It's not, it's not. It's not yours. Follows discipline. Follows patterns of self-governance. Are you with me? And here's the thing. Patterns of governance can become so redundant and so boring that you want to abandon it. Because a lot of the things we do is redundant. Let me help you quickly. Christianity is not going to be something where you experience something new every morning. It's going to be the same thing. It's going to kind of be a repeat of the same thing. I mean, you'll have encounters with God. Make no mistake. You'll see His face. He'll shine upon you. He'll smile upon you. But your patterns are pretty much the same. I know somebody told you, you need to shift gears. Uh, Same patterns. Because God rewards pattern. God honors pattern. God rewards pattern. God honors pattern. Are you with me? And it is that consistent patterns that you develop that then begins to increase your territory. But watch this. When you fail self-governance, you lose the territory. Why did they lose the territory? They failed the self-governance test. They failed the self-governance test. What was the rule? Do not partake of this. That was the rule. Because the the rule dictates the reward. Failed it. And they lose the territory. Somebody shout self-governance. So 
So self-governance then follows territorial governance. It follows territorial governance, but it starts with self. It starts with self. And when we begin to get this right, we now begin to see how the kingdom starts increasing in certain spaces. Are you following me? We get to see how the kingdom starts increasing in certain spaces. And the kingdom comes is you coming as a self-governed individual, and you then begin to establish the kingdom there. Are you following me? Something you, I think you said it yesterday, man of God. You said that when the government locally was looking at sensitive matters, they had to employ somebody, they would find a Christian. I think you said it yesterday. But I, I like what you said because it, it highlights the point that I'm raising. What were they looking for? Who did they give territory, promotion, and platform to? A man that mastered himself. Yes. You follow the pattern? Yes. So because the man governed himself, they gave him authority over territory, over certain, certain legislature, certain things. You understand what I'm saying? And that is really the point that I'm trying to drive. But again, why, why would they trust a Christian during that particular period that Pastor highlighted? Because the Christians mastered self-governance. And the Christians had more territory. You follow that? Yes, sir. Now, why is it that Christians have less territory? Because Christians are just like everybody else. Where they have no mastery, we have no mastery. Where they have no governance, we have no governance. Are you following me? So how do we gain back our territory? We get back to the most basic things that makes us Christian. I'm telling you now, when people keep on saying the church is not relevant, it is a plot from the devil to lure us out of our stronghold. Our patterns are our stronghold. And when the enemy wants to conquer you, he lures you out of your stronghold. And he starts telling you things like you're no longer relevant. And that is how compromise enters you. And before you know it, we don't know the difference between the light and the dark. And so what the culture has done, it has lured us out of our stronghold. Battles are fought from strongholds. Study war, they will tell you, you build a stronghold. Battles are won from strongholds. And our strongholds is holiness. Our strongholds is purity. Our stronghold is righteousness. Our stronghold is prayer. Our stronghold is fasting. Our stronghold is honor. Our stronghold is submission. This is our stronghold. But the culture has lured us out of our stronghold and now we are taking a beating because we have moved out of our stronghold. Because wars are won in strongholds. And so for years now, what the culture has done, it has lured us out of our stronghold. Through stupid narratives like you're no longer relevant, you're no longer relevant. And what do we do? We compromise. Just talking to you in the office, we have a prophetic narrative that no longer comes from the Spirit of God. It comes from the news. Do you understand? 
says that John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. He was away. He was, he was far away from where the news happened. So that the prophecy that he gave would be pure and not informed by the culture. Not just a, a foolish scripture that's just thrown in there that says he lived in the wilderness. He was detached from the culture. So that when he delivered a word, people knew that it was not information derived at ground level. Because how would he know he does not live amongst us? How would he know that? You understand what I'm saying to you? And so the enemy will lure you out of your stronghold. And so we're going to have to get back to self-governance. It is absolutely key, absolutely critical that we get back to self-governance. Now, from self-governance, we get into territorial governance. From self-governance, we get into territorial governance. Because from me now, it moves into my space. And that then is a gradual progression. So it's the person, it is the family, the household, it is the city, it is the nation. Are you following me? And that then becomes the progression because that now begins to spiral over. But it requires then that you are able to sustain and preserve their dynamic so that it can spiral over into other areas of your life. Now God wants to give you territory, but how well governed are you? Because territory follows governance. Territory follows governance. Territory follows governance. And it is key that you understand that. And it is only after governance that you are now sent as an apostolic people. Because the test is governance. Three years Jesus has a group of disciples and they go through this process of governance. At the end of those years, Judas fail, and he does not become one of the sent ones. And a new man is elected into his place, and that man becomes one of the sent ones. When he fails the self-governance test, he is not one of the sent ones. Are you with me? But for three years, they have to master that. They have to get that. And then after that, the outpour of the Holy Spirit comes, because if he can trust them with themselves, he can trust them with his spirit. God can trust you with yourself. He can trust you with his spirit. Are you following me? Now at this stage then, he begins to send you. And this now is where the church then begins to take territory. And so a word that Jesus used consistently is the word sent. Go with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Verse 3, I want to look at that sand dimension quickly now. Because we're talking from self-governance going into the territory now. Are you with me? Yes, Luke 10, 1 to 3. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent, there's the word sent. He sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, again, there's the word, to send out workers into the harvest field. I'm sending you like lambs amongst wolves. Now, again, the word send there is where you get the word apostle from. Are you with me? The word apostolos, apo from and stello, go, or send forth. It means to be sent forth from another on a special commission to represent another 
to accomplish the work, commissioner, an ambassador, on a mission as a representation of the one that sent him. Now, I want to lay emphasis on that as a representation. As a representation. As a representation. And what you have to understand about representation is that you don't represent yourself. You represent him. You don't represent yourself. You represent the one that send you. And this deals with what we call the centrality of the grace. This means that if you are part of this house, you then become an extension of Pizek. Yes, you're your own person, but if he sends you, you become a representation of him and not of yourself. Now watch this. You can only be a representation of him because you have mastered your own desires to be. We get excited when we hear phrases like apostle, but one of the things that you have to understand about being an apostle is that all your desires die. You only care at the desire of the one that sent you. Jesus captured it so well. He says, I do nothing on my own accord. That's a deep statement. I do nothing of my own accord. I do nothing of my own accord. And that's a profound statement because he was trying to be an accurate representation of the place that dispatched him. And this now deals with accuracy and representation. But again, you can only come into accuracy if you have mastered what we call self-governance. Because the apostle is first master of self-governance so that when he gets to the place he is sent to, he does not take ownership of it. following me because it's not his it's the one who sent him now watch this now self-governance is perhaps the biggest lesson for apostolic people because as things begin to grow as territory begins to increase the desire for independence begins to grow and the desire for independence begins to increase. You understand what I'm saying? As popularity begins to increase, the desire for independence begins to increase. As you come into more money, the desire for myself, my own, begins to increase. And this is why God will take you over through a process of cutting so that when reward hits you, you have dealt with all your carnal desires so that you can be an accurate representation of the one that sent you. And this is the thing with a mission field. Desires starts developing. And one of the things that I can tell you now is as you begin to grow as a church, as you begin to increase as a local church, there's a whole lot of people that will begin to speak to you about independence. You're your own man. Your own person. You can do your own thing. You're also an orga. You're also the chairman. That's your words, right? You're also a chairman. You're also a chairman. <laughs> Are you following me? Because you have not gone through the process of self-governance. That thing begins to attach itself 
your insecurities and your vulnerabilities and you begin to hijack the move of God. And it's no longer of God. It's your power, it's your demonstration, it's your thing. So God takes us through that process of self-governance before He gives us increased territory. Are you following me? And so those things then become key because you have to be an accurate representation of the one who sent you. You have to be an accurate representation of the one who sent you. But here's the thing. Accuracy is learned. Accuracy is learned. Now in a local church context, how do you get to accuracy? You observe. You watch. You look closely. And that observation then makes you an accurate representation in the territories that God sends you into. This is why God places you under leaders. So that you can learn, you can observe, you can see. And you then become an extension of that. And sometimes people will mock you, but it's actually a compliment. Where people will say, you know, you know in our church they call people little Pastor Brandon. They are clean Pastor B, small Pastor B. And people use that as a phrase to mock people, but that should actually be a compliment because you are now becoming an accurate representation. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the, the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now this is apostolic doctrines. In, in any other context, there's an overemphasis on originality and independence and I'm my own person. In the apostolic culture, there's no such. You look like that which send you. So how do you know an apostolic house is an apostolic house? They look like the one that sent them. And that deals with accurate representation. And God is committed to two things, I said to you, to the fullness and to accuracy. To the fullness and to accuracy. And so the word that the Bible uses for building accuracy into people is the word disciple. And, and that word comes from the Greek word metano. Metano. It means one that learns through instruction. One that learns through observation. One that learns through instruction. One that learns through observation. Instruction teaches you my doctrine. Observation gives you my power. Elijah said, when you see me, go. He says, when you see me, you will receive it. You understand what I'm saying? So there's two ways you learn in the house of God. Observation and instruction. Paul taught the Lord, but he also said, follow me as I look, at, look unto me. Look at me. I model this thing for you. One of the things that you're going to have to increase as an apostolic community is your observation and how you are given and how you heed to instruction. Are you following me? Because instruction is not just, instruction captures the, the culture of the house. You come to our church, there are certain things that are instructional, but those things exemplify the culture of the house. I come here, there are certain instructions in place. You don't just get to, to do this just 
It was not a Big Bang Theory. No, it's a Big Bang Theory. Things just automatically fall into place. Not a Big Bang Theory. There's a whole lot of things that are instructional. Are you with me? Christianity is not a Big Bang Theory. It's instructional. Do this or that. Put this in place. Do that and that. And so you learn through instruction and through observation. You learn through instruction and through observation. And that makes you a true disciple. But what is the objective of that? Accurate representation. Accurate representation. Now that is deep because it means if I come to the church in Ibadan, I must see this. What's the other place? Abiyokuta, ne? If I come to, to, to glory in Abiyokuta, I must experience this. Because that then is accurate representation. And, and, and you know, I don't like using these examples, but unfortunately I have to use it. I don't like using it, but unfortunately I have to. Perhaps only in Islam, where a Muslim man can come to a mosque in Johannesburg and a mosque in Abuja, and it feels the same. Feels the same. Because what have they mastered? Representation. Now the apostolic model is one that deals with issues of representation. But you see a perverted gospel deals with independence. I am my own person. I am my own model. I do my thing. This is me. And it veers us away further and further from accurate representation. And we become like a mixed multitude that no longer embody the Spirit of God in its original and truest form. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, again, when I say the same, I mean the atmosphere, the Spirit, the language, the conversation, everything about us, there's a consistency to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't feel out of place when you come to that church. You don't feel out of place when you go to that church. But we are so different because we have veered away from an accurate representation and the world has nurtured in us the spirit of independence. The biggest threat to accurate representation is I am my own person. I am my own person. When the devil tempts you, he tempts you. You're your own person. You said it last night. He's your biggest hype man. He's your biggest hype man. You're your own person. You're your own person. Now, do you. Oh, you. You're American. It's even more cute. Do you, boo. <laughs> That's not kingdom. Because in kingdom, you do the will of the Father. In kingdom, you do the will of the Father. You don't do you. You do His will. You know, somebody asked me, somebody asked me, said to me, he says, man, it's December. Why are you on a conference? I gave them John 9, 4. must do the work of him who sent me while it is day. Because when God sends you, you don't run on a normal calendar. Yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? When God sends you, you don't run on a normal calendar. That's why would you go? I said, man, my flesh would desire to be on a beach in South Africa. That's what my flesh would desire right now. You know, to make nice sand castles with the kids in that's what my flesh wants. But I, I am not my own person. I don't own my time. I don't own my calendar. I, do, I, I don't own it. He owns it. 
And my wife always says to me, she says, you know, you can't make a decision. You must first ask your boss. Maren always says that. Yes, but you know, no. why, why did you decide that? Now God is now telling you that. Uh, you know, my wife always says that to me. She says, you see, you made a decision. Now the boss has come and now you must be humble again. Because <laughs> my wife always tells me that, you know. Made the wrong move. You should have checked with the boss first. <laughs> because God owns me. Because God owns me. So somebody asked me that, and I said, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent us. There's night coming when we cannot do the work. This is a holiday season. You're in church. People are on a break. You're in church. You're at a conference. And I'm certain that your family is telling you you're crazy. Yeah. That Pizek pastor... <laughs> That guy you call Pizek. That guy is controlling you. You know it's the truth. But we understand this because apostolic people are not their own people. We don't do us, we do him. We are under strict instructions. He owns us. He owns our time. He owns our space. He owns our movement. Christians don't run on a normal calendar. We don't run on a normal clock. He owns us. You understand what I'm saying to you? He owns your money. He owns your money. Oh, you want to pay a bribe for a UK visa, but he owns your money. You understand what I'm saying to you? Oh, for some of you, the first train out of Nigeria will be on it, but that's not an instruction from God. That's why we're in Nigeria. Because the idea is accurate representation. And the thing with God is God is precise. There's a precision to the things of the Spirit. There's a detail to the things of the Spirit. And when we are saying we're an apostolic generation, then we also understand the abandonment of self. You get it? You understand the abandonment of self. Because the truth is there is a whole lot of things that can make you rich quickly in comparison to this. That can give you success quickly in comparison to this. And you know it. I mean, if you're a Nigerian and you don't know how to be successful the crooked way, you're not a Nigerian. Because every Nigerian knows the loophole. I'm yet to meet a Nigerian that don't know the loophole. Amen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys are an interesting group, man. There's no sticker, but we can make a plan. <laughs> but why not? Because you don't own yourself. You don't own yourself. And the apostolic generation understand that God owns us. You understand what I'm saying? That God owns us. He owns our time. He owns our money, our calendar, everything. He owns us. And all those things are attained through a process of observation and instruction. We learn his ways through instruction. We learn his ways through observation. Are you following me? And Jesus demonstrated this because on his way to Gethsemane, he wanted to take a decoy. His flesh did not desire what had to happen next. 
His flesh did not want it. He says, my flesh do not want to drink this cup. My flesh do not want to partake in this. My flesh do not want it. But nevertheless, your will and not my will. And it all boils down to self-governance. Now watch this now. As you begin to grow in the apostolic grace, there's going to be a contentious issue in your life where your will begins to contest this will. And the rules will become offensive. You understand what I'm saying to you? And the rules will become deeply offensive. But you will have to carry through with it. Because that is what it means to be a disciple. And, and, and a disciple is not just somebody that just follows blindly. A disciple is a strict adherent to the teaching of the master. A strict adherent to the teaching of the master. Someone who is in pursuit. Someone who is sticky. Someone who is clingy. Because the marks of a disciple is his clinginess to his teacher. That's the marks of a disciple. Elijah said to, Elisha said to Elijah, I will not leave you. I'm going to cling to you. Jesus gave his disciples the options to leave him. And they said to him, where can we go? You alone have the words of life. Where can we go? You alone have the words of life. And so the mark of a disciple is his clinginess to his teacher. And people will mock you for that. People will call you religious, a religious zealot for that. But there is the marks of discipleship because you are after accurate representation. Are you following me? It's very, very key that we understand that. Now, there's two things that becomes an impartation in an apostolic house. Two types of impartation that I want to labor quickly. Two types of impartation. Number one is apostolic content. And number two, apostolic grace. Apostolic content and apostolic grace. Content establishes the culture and grace expresses the power. Content establishes the culture and grace expresses the power. And there's two things that we must understand because a revival cannot just be a demonstration of power. There must be a pattern or a culture that exists in that particular space. Because if it is just a demonstration of power, it is not sustainable over the longer period of time. And one of the reasons why most revivals die out is because they are not teaching patterns that is built into the places where God's power is downloaded in a significant way. And the way you sustain a revival is you raise up teachers in a revival. Now here's the problem. In, and, and again, this is not an African dynamic. This is perhaps more an American dynamic. Americans gravitate towards revivalists. And a revivalist is somebody that comes, gets the crowd excited over a few days and creates an atmosphere and, and all those type of things. The problem with that is that it is not sustainable because any move of God that does not have a strong teaching trust will die out eventually. Jesus was the greatest revivalist, but he was the greatest teacher. He was the greatest revivalist. But he was the greatest teacher. In fact, they called him teacher more than what they called him anything else. Great teacher, master teacher. 
Because what teaching does is teaching brings us into a perpetual flow of the outpour. You understand what I'm saying? So what apostles do, they are teachers. They tell you how we got to that place. And, 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 and it's interesting because it's almost... They can teach you into the experience, but it can also teach you, help you trace your steps out of the experience. You understand what I'm saying to you? And it's key that we begin to understand that. And so what is happening now, and one of the things you'll begin, I'm saying this prophetically, one of the things that you'll begin to see strong in this church, in this season, is the emergence of teachers. It's not going to be hype man that stands with a mic and shout, but it's going to be people that build line upon line, precept upon precept, year a little, there a little. Because what teaching does, it produces the culture that sustains that atmosphere. Are you following me? It produces the culture that sustains that atmosphere. And what I like about this house is that it's a teaching house. You'll spend more time teaching because it builds into you the culture of the expression. So there's two things that, 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 that comes with an apostolic generation. It is the content and it is the grace. The content establishes the culture and the grace expresses the power. The content establishes the culture and the grace expresses the power. And the one comes faster than the other. Jesus spent three years building the content. But in one moment, he released the power. Power comes easily. Our struggle is teaching you. He spent three years teaching. And in one moment, power of God came into the room like a mighty rushing wind. But he spent three years teaching and preparing them for that moment. Because if you are not prepared through teaching, you will not steward the moment well. You will not steward the moment well. If you are not prepared through teaching. And it is key that you catch that. It is key that you understand that. Because learning is a prerequisite for activation. Content or teaching or curriculum precedes power. It precedes power. Go with me to John chapter 20 quickly. John chapter 20. Nineteen to twenty-three. Now this is after. Let's read it. On the evening of the first, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the door, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said to them, "Peace be with you." When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, "Peace be with you." As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Again, apostolic dimension there, you see. And when he had said this, he blew on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you would hold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. But I want you to see the progression. After three years of teaching them, it takes one moment and he blows upon them and they receive the power. So teaching then becomes a prerequisite for the power because it is the shaping and the formatting of the wineskin. It is a configuration of your person so that you can understand the downpour. And so the safest place to be in a revival is in a teaching house. 
The safest place to be in a revival is in a teaching house. The safest place to be in a revival is in a teaching house. And so at the core of discipleship is education. It is curriculum. And God will take a considerable amount of time to educate you. To educate you. And why is the education of the apostolic then so important? Because it produces the culture. And what is the culture? It's the customs, it's the traditions, it's the attitudes, it's the language. It is the rules that drives what we are experiencing. Are you following me? It is the things that makes us distinct. Now watch this. There's a progression then. The rules are written so that we can steward the moment well. And then God begins to pour out His Spirit, but He has configured us through taking us through a season of teaching. And what teaching does is it challenges your norms. It challenges your thinking. It delivers you from warped thinking. It delivers you from carnal thinking. It delivers you from perceiving the things of God through a lens of the world and not through a lens of the kingdom. It clears your eyes. It opens your ears. It gives you a mind that begins to grasp. And suddenly you begin to understand what you are experiencing. You understand what I'm saying? Because teaching empties us and then it fills us again. And so a revival that only has signs that has no teaching is a revival that is not sustainable over a long period of time. We are not looking to create a moment in the spirit. We are trying to enter a perpetual flow of the things of the spirit. Where every day we are in revival. Where every day we are experiencing the power of God. And where it is not something that comes and goes, but it is something that stays with us and it remains with us for a long period of time. But it's going to require then that we understand the content of the season. And as I said to you earlier, the prophet declares it, but the apostles then come and they begin to build and unpack their declaration. And so when we say we're an apostolic generation, we understand the curriculum of the season, not just the external expressions of what is happening. And so there will be a season that you are entering where there's going to be increased prayer time. You're going to have to pray more than what you've prayed. Increase prayer time. Increase teaching. I'm telling you now for what God wants to do, we can no longer sit under 30 minute sermons. It's not enough. It is not sufficient. It is not sustainable. It does not help you. The Apostle Paul took so long in teaching, a man fell out of the window and died. And then they went down, they resurrected a man, and they went back to teaching. Yeah, it's a crazy story. They quickly ran down in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they went back to finish the teaching. Now with us, if we resurrected a dead man, that moment there would be glorified. We'll forget that as a teaching. You get me? He says they just raised up the man, they went back, and he, he continued to teach. Man, when we have somebody get resurrected, you saw in South Africa when we had a fake resurrection. You remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> Let me just say, man, if God wakes you up from the dead, don't walk like that man in South Africa into the church. 
But the point that I'm making is they went back to teaching. So even though there was a great demonstration of power, there was a strong emphasis upon teaching. Because here's the thing, if we don't inculcate this spirit in people of teaching, the miracle then becomes an idol. And this is the mistake with most revivals. The miracles are idolized. The biggest draw card for God is teaching. The biggest draw card is not miracles. Miracles are a byproduct of, his, of it. You understand what I'm saying to you? Yes, he'll heal the sick. Yes, he'll raise the dead. But there is not an emphasis. The emphasis is line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Yes, he'll heal the sick, but the emphasis is teaching. Yes, he'll raise the dead, but the emphasis is teaching. Yes, he'll speak word of knowledge, word of wisdom, but the emphasis is teaching. Because it gives us the culture that sustains the move of God over a longer period of time. And what we are trusting God for as an apostolic generation is a perpetual flow. Somebody say perpetual. It's a perpetual flow. It is not an event. It is not a once-off thing. It is not something that meets us and we never see it again. But it is something that is sustainable, something that stays, something that holds, something that continues day after day after day. A fire on the altar that does not go out. And that is the revival that's coming. It's not going to be an event. It is not going to be an event. It's going to be the perpetual of God's Holy Spirit in us and through us. Over a period of time. And 10 years from now we will meet and it will be the same outpour consistently. Are you following me? And so it is key that we begin to understand that. It is key that we begin to understand that. Because the problem with us is we begin to exercise ownership or with a move of the Spirit of God. And then we begin to assign it to their territory. Now what makes it an apostolic move is that it can now grow beyond the place where it originally occurred. What makes something apostolic? It can be exported beyond the borders where it initially occurred. If it only happens in a certain space, it's fabricated. But if it can be duplicated, it is an apostolic mark. And this is why Jesus said, the gospel will be preached first in Jerusalem. Here's where the experience will happen. The experience will take place here. But then it will go into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so what makes something apostolic is its ability to be exported. And so it is possible, so, so, so people say that Nigeria is in a revival. The problem is, can Nigeria export that? You, you, you catch me? Because the asset test of it is its power to be exported. And so it's only happening in Wari. It's only happening in Lagos. It can be a bit of a challenge. Because true apostolicity is in the power of exportation. And we begin to see. Great move hits Jerusalem. And then there's begin to export that thing. Into all the parts of the earth. And that same move then is replicated in other parts of the earth. Because the asset test of revival is its exportability. 
you cannot export it, it has not matured yet. If you cannot export it, it has not fully developed. If you cannot export it, it is not complete yet. If you cannot export it, it is not in its fullness. If you cannot export it, it is not accurate. Because the things of God does not have a local identity. It has a global identity. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And this is why Paul had to rebuke Peter. Because Peter tried to localize the grace. Because I rebuked you to your face. Because when this thing was opening up for the Gentiles, you intercepted it. You made it yours. And so I rebuked you to your face. Because if it's God's, it has a global identity. And so one of the things that will be a trademark of the apostolic generation that is emerging, we won't know if it's South African or Nigerian, but we will know it is God. And so I always tell people, we're not in a move of God if we can still make a distinction of ethnicity. Somebody asked me back home, he said, are we in a move of God? I said, no. He said, why do you say that? I said, because ethnicity is still prevalent. You can still say this is South African. You can still say this is Nigerian. You can still say that's Ghanaian. Until we reach a stage where we can no longer see ethnicity, then it is not a move of God that has matured. Because when a move of God matures, we look like the children of God and not like our, our ethnic orientation. And this is what apostolic does. It's the equalizer. Where there's neither Jew, nor Gentile, male. But if distinction is still strong, the move has not matured. If distinction is still strong, the move has not matured. The maturity of the move is we can hear the Spirit of God and we do not see gender. You see what's happening is that ethnicity is still prevalent in the things we call the move of God. And so when we say there's an apostolic generation emerging, it's going to have to be borderless. Because the spirit is without border. You understand what I'm saying to you? It's going to have to be without gender, nor male, nor female. Because that is what tradition does. Tradition boxes us into ethnicity. Tradition boxes us into our gender. It boxes us into our culture. And when Jesus comes, he breaks that. And why does he break that? He breaks that so that we don't have a monopoly over the move of God. Are you with me? And that is the danger that we are in. Because a lot of things that we call the move of God literally just belong to a region. It just belongs to a certain people. And it is through the vehicle of discipleship and teaching that we now build the power and the capacity to export it. Are you with me? When you tell me you're in a revival, the next question I ask you is, can you export it? Can you export it? Can this thing be duplicated in a town in Johannesburg? Can this thing be duplicated in a town in Lagos? 
And that is what the apostolic generation does. And so when reformation comes, it becomes borderless. It becomes colorless. It becomes genderless. And the only thing that we can be, see is the Spirit of God. Is the Spirit of God. Where we don't put the color to it. We don't put the gender to it. We don't put an ethnicity to it. We don't put a tribe to it. We put the Spirit of God to it. It's mind-blowing when you begin to see it. Because the Bible demonstrates this so powerfully in the book of Acts. Where God just starts using all men, all women, all creeds, all colors, all ethnicities. And that then is a move of God. And so the apostolic generation that is emerging is one that's going to break barriers. It's one that's going to break boundaries. It's one that is self-governed. And so when the power hit, they will not claim false ownership over it. Because they know the power and the excellency belongs to God. And that is what an apostolic generation does. But it's a progression, self-governance, territory, duplication, exportation. And I sense that so strong. When I came in yesterday, the man of God was speaking and I could just hear the prophetic utterance he was giving. And I said to him yesterday, I said what you were preaching is an article I wrote about two or three weeks ago. I wrote an article on some of the things you were saying. And it began to resonate in my spirit because I realized that God is busy bringing conversations together. Because His spirit is one. And so that apostolic generation is not coming. They are. They are here already. But it's going to be a season where we don't see color. Where we don't see ethnicity. Where we don't see nationality. Where we just know God is doing something. This revival is not going to be called the Lagos revival. It's not going to be called the Johannesburg revival. It's going to be called the move of God's spirit. We won't be able to attach a location to it. Because when it's happening here, I'll be able to call you from Johannesburg and say, Man, I'm seeing the exact thing happening here in Johannesburg. Another man will be able to call you from Nairobi and say the same thing. Is happening in Nairobi. Another man will call you and say the same thing is happening in Entebbe, Uganda. Another one will call you and say it's happening in Arare. And we will begin to understand that the Spirit of God is one. And that apostolic generation is here. But here's the thing. We have gone through a season of self-governance. And I'm telling you, when we master that, He begins to increase our territory. Pray in the Holy Ghost for a few seconds. Pakrodosia brashadai. Sakrabaria broshkadar la babasia noshkadai. Shakradaria broshkadar la babasia noshkadurie broshadu. Rapkradaria broshkadar la babasia noshkadai. Shaklabari abroshkadar la babasia noshkadai. Print Holy Ghost, don't stop. Print Holy Ghost, don't stop. Generation is here. Kabodori abroshadi.
Sacrabaria broskedar la babasia noskedai Krasadaria broskedor la babosia noskedai Shebrede shebrede Sacrabaria broskedai Pray don't stop Sacrabaria Rapodosia broshadi Kravararia broshadi Kravararia broshadar la babasia noshkadi Sakrabaria broshadi rebebesia broshkadur Shilalimendosia neshadi Come on, push, push a little bit more. Something's breaking, something's breaking. Something's breaking. Karavasie! Oh, Kiaramandosede! Push a little bit more, push a little bit more. Karabasa Lassia Broshadi, Rapodoria Broskadaria Bresadi. Rakrabaria broskadaria broskadar, sekreberia broskadar la babasia broskadar, keprederia broskador la bobosie. Rararia broskadar la babasia remenosia baskadi, keprodosanaria braskadar no poria braskadai. Repodosia Brushkadaria Prashadar la Babasie, Tresodor no Koria Braskadaria Preskadai, Alclavaria Preskadar la Babasia la Lamantoskadar la Babasie Preshade, Shekreberia Brushadaria Brosade, Lekrabar le Bebesia le Lemeskador lo Bobosia Noskade, Shekreberia Brashadar la Babasia Broskade, Self Governance, the grace to govern myself, Kadosia Boskade. Sekreberia broshadar la babasia peske duviei Mantrodoria broshadar la babasia la mantoshkadar Shakrabaria broshadaria broshadai la babasia noshkadorie Sekreberia broshkadar la babasia la mantoshkadi Karabaria broshkador la babasia noshkadar Sekreberia broshkadar la babasia noshkadar Kravararia broshkadar la babasia noshkadar Shekrebe, shekrebe, shekrebe Something's giving, something's breaking. This is that moment. This is that moment that history will record. Kabadasiye. 
Kadashie, Makadashia Prashade, Rantro Doria Brosadar La Babasia La Maskade, Sakrabaria Broshkadar La Babasia Meshkaderia Broshade, Ey.
Come on, push a little bit more. One more minute. One more minute. Push, push, push. The Lord is releasing fresh oil. Fresh oil is being poured upon your heads. I can see the Lord releasing fresh oil upon your heads. The Lord is releasing fresh oil. Fresh oil. Fresh oil. Shiel Elemende. Fresh oil. Matro doshe, matro doshe, matro doshe. Fresh oil. Karabasa no shedei. Pray no ligos, don't stop. Krabororia broskedar la babasi elemento skede. Shaklabaria breskedaria bloshedai le bebese. Shetlomo, shakramaria noskede. Senknanaria braskedar la babasi abrudabasi alamasadai. Shiklebaria boshede. Shetlebe, shetlebe. Fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil. The Lord is pouring fresh oil.
Yes. Mm. In Jesus' name. The Lord is pouring fresh oil upon you. As I was praying, I literally saw the Lord pouring fresh oil upon you. As a new declaration that you will begin to utter. As a new authority that's coming to you. You will not just speak as a man with empty words, but there's going to be an authority behind your words. And tonight will be historical for you because from this moment henceforth, you will speak with new authority. New authority. Lift your hands. Just be very reverent in the presence of God. Just play something very prayerfully. Let us just savor this moment. There's moments where we just have to soak in what's happening. Just play something for me very reverently on the keyboard. I want us just to soak in. Mm. Yeah. You're experiencing that fresh world right now. You're experiencing a fresh touch. That's God right there. That's God right there, that you're sensing, that you're feeling. That's God. I sense it too. There's a fresh flow right now. Shiamandoshe. Hmm. An apostolic generation has emerged. An apostolic generation has emerged. There's a flow of the Spirit now. Just go a little bit louder. Mm. There's going to be outbreaks just where you are. Just soak that in. Just soak that in. Absorb that. I sense it so heavy. Mm. An apostolic generation is here already. There is a shift happening. We're about to change our continent. We're about to change our continent. We're about to change our continent. We're about to change. This, this is the generation that will change the testimony of Africa. This is the generation that will change the narrative of Africa. Everywhere we go, they laugh at us. We are not developed. Our countries are not moving forward. This generation is going to change that narrative. From this place will emerge governors, presidents, apostles and prophets, economists that will shift this continent and change the narrative of this continent. Shialamando Shede. Oh, Fresh oil, O Lord, fresh oil upon their heads. Pour fresh oil upon our heads. And that is the thing with an apostolic generation. It's not so we can have good church. It's so that we can shift a narrative. It is so that we can shift a narrative. The light has come. The light has come. I know my time is up. I'll just take a few more. few more seconds. Just begin to absorb that. We are shifting the narrative of this continent.
And from the ashes will emerge an apostolic generation. From the ashes will emerge a generation that writes a new story. From the ashes will emerge a generation that changes the narrative of an entire continent. From the ashes will emerge a people that shifts an entire continent. An entire continent. From the tip of South Africa all the way to Egypt. We are going to shift the narrative of this continent. Yummy. Yummy. There's a grace that's being poured out now. Shalamande. Fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil. Elemendo, shelemenda, ebebes, yenoshere. Shelemendi, abrosere, ebebes, yenoshere. Fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil. Receive it now, receive it now, receive it now. Fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil. Shendemendo, lomos, yenoshere. From the ashes will emerge a generation that will change the narrative of an entire continent. From the ashes will emerge a generation that will change the narrative of an entire continent. Fresh oil, O Lord, fresh oil, O Lord, fresh oil. Fresh oil, O Lord, fresh oil, O Lord. Fresh oil. Let's take one more minute, one more minute, just push in. It's one more minute. It's one more minute. We are shifting narratives. And by that we will know that it's a move of God because the narrative of a continent is changing. By this will we know it's the Lord's doing. Because the narrative of a continent is changing. And by this we will know it is the Lord. By this we will know it is the Lord. Yes, it is. 